Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The Supreme Court says Congress can't regulate climate change quite the way the Obama and Biden administrations want to. But what does that mean for the rights of those of us who live in heavily polluted urban landscapes like southeast Michigan? We're going to spend today talking about the court's action and what it means for our hearts and lungs in industrial America. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. So I hope you're staying cool this summer or finding some way to stay cool because it has been pretty hot outside. Last week, Metro Detroit tied another record high for temperature, a mark that was previously set way back in 1933. And that was not an isolated weather incident. This summer, we have continuously experienced record high temperatures all over southeast Michigan. That trend of rising temperatures is important because it has effects far beyond us sweating it out during the summer. Extreme heat actually kills more Americans each year on average than hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, and lightning combined. And higher temperatures worsen a lot of other types of disasters. Think of all the crazy storms we had last year. Think of the heat waves we endure, the floods, the droughts, all kinds of negative weather dynamics. This also has a pretty big financial burden on us in this country. Last year, we experienced 20 separate billion-dollar weather and climate disasters, the second most all-time behind Well, guess about it, Uh, 2020, just the year before. And that year, extreme weather cost U.S. taxpayers $99 billion in total. And let's be honest, these effects have a disproportionate impact on certain communities. If you live in a city, Also, if you live in a community that has a high percentage of black and brown people, these problems look really different. The way that we have polluted our environment is different depending on your zip code. And, of course, we know why all of this is happening. We know that the increases in greenhouse gas emissions added by people have significantly increased temperatures and climate all over the planet. Now, fortunately, prior lawmakers gave us a tool to try to deal with this exact issue. In 1970, as a result of heightened public concerns about deteriorating city air and water contamination, remember that the Cleveland River used to catch on fire, uh, Congress created the Environmental Protection Agency. 
And they were understanding that, that the legislature didn't have the time, the knowledge, or dexterity to foresee and fix every potential future issue. So they gave the EPA a really broad set of directives, including the Clean Air Act, which granted the EPA the ability to impose limits on pollution sources based on the, quote, best system of emissions reduction. Now, yesterday, the U.S. Supreme Court gutted the ability of the EPA to reduce these kinds of emissions in a case called West Virginia versus Environmental Protection Agency. And this represents just the latest in a series of historically expansive Supreme Court decisions that reduce bodily autonomy, they have vastly expanded gun rights, and further eroded the separation of church and state. It has been quite a few weeks as the Supreme Court has wrapped up its current term. But with the stakes as high as they have ever been for our planet and our health on the planet, I think it's really crucial that we take some time to really try to understand how this latest decision affects our ability to address climate change and how it looks different for those of us who live in communities like Detroit and Southeast Michigan. That is where we begin the conversation today. And we've got two really, really knowledgeable experts with us to help us understand what this ruling means and where we go from here. Nick Schreck is the Associate Dean of Experiential Education and an Associate Professor who specializes in environmental law at the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law. He also joins us pretty frequently here on Detroit Today to talk about climate and environmental issues. Nick, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Also with us is Jeremy Orr. He is the Director of Litigation and Advocacy Partnerships at Earth Justice and an, expire, an ex- expert in environmental law. Jeremy Orr, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, I want to start here. Uh, Let's just explain to listeners what was at issue in this case, West Virginia uh, versus EPA. Nick, I'll start with you. Sure. So this actually goes back um, a ways. Um, So Back in 2007, there was a case called Massachusetts v. EPA that found that EPA does have the authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. And then from then, you started to see EPA trying to pass these these rules, these regulations to actually do that work. Um, Back in the Obama administration, there was something called the Clean Power Plan that people may remember. Um, And that was a proposal to really shift the way electricity is generated in this country from primarily coal to other sources like um, wind and solar, but also um, natural gas, you know, to try and uh, reduce some of those greenhouse gas emissions. Well, that clean power plan under the Obama administration was stayed by the Supreme Court, meaning they didn't allow it to be implemented. And then after the election, when President Trump was elected, Trump's EPA went ahead and drafted their own plan to try and try and get at these greenhouse gas emissions. And then that that plan was almost immediately stopped by the Washington, D.C. Uh, circuit Court. And then we get in now into the Biden administration, and they said that they're planning on coming up with their own rules to, to actually um, regulate greenhouse gas emissions. But before they could do that, the Supreme Court decided to take a crack at looking at EPA's um, authority under the Clean Air Act, as you said in the opening. Um, and this question of you know whether EPA um, has the authority to act as broadly as they were doing under that Clean Power Plan back in 2016. Now, just at the outset, I want to, to note that it was extraordinary for EPA to even take this case 
because the Biden administration had not put out a rule yet. They, they hadn't released anything that could actually be reviewed. So this was basically the court going back, looking at the Clean Air Act, saying, you know, here's what we think EPA's uh, authority should be, rather than really looking at, you know, what Congress had intended um, and how these regulations have evolved over time. So it was kind of extraordinary they took this case to begin with. And then, as you mentioned, you know, they, they looked at this question of, you know, what is the best system for uh, emission reductions across the country? And my sort of overall upshot of the, the ruling is that it could have been worse. Um, I was concerned, as well as were many others, I'm sure Jeremy was as well, that the Supreme Court may have said, you know what, we're going to take a look at whether greenhouse gases can even be regulated, or we're going to severely limit the authority of agencies to act in, in many different areas, not just EPA, but other federal agencies. Um, based on these recent decisions that they've had on, on abortion and, and prayer in schools and all of that, we were really worried that they were going to um, just take a hatchet completely to the to the Clean Air Act and to EPA's authority in other areas. So this is just sort of limited to this electrical power generation and how EPA can regulate those facilities. But it's still a very disappointing, uh, disheartening decision because we are so far behind the curve on where we need to be on regulating greenhouse gas emissions. And this just you know sets us back, right? It, it's more of a delay. There's still some authority there for EPA to, to act that we can get into, but definitely um, – bad but but as i said it could have been uh, you know worse and i think we, we have to take a little bit of solace in that that we can continue to kind of try and move forward and and, and really tackle this um, increasingly devastating problem of climate change so, so jeremy or talk about the practical implications of what the court says as i was saying in the open those of us who live in urban centers those of us who live in majority black and brown communities put up with a lot of the effects of, of, of climate change. I would say a lot more uh, when it comes to pollution than, than, than many other places. What does it mean to say that the EPA cannot regulate climate change in this way? Yeah, yeah I, I think that's right. Um, you know, this, this, this will have some significant implications. And, and, and despite it being not as, you know, um, as burdensome as we thought it would be, right? It's still a pretty significant environmental ruling. Uh, you know what it what it does is, as you know, Dick mentioned, right? It, it limits EPA's you know uh, power significantly to 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 impact the future of of regulation as well, right? And when we think about um, you know the the practical implications on communities, right? Not, not just communities in Detroit, but communities around the country, uh, they're going to be you know they're going to be pretty significant from a practical standpoint of uh, you know. EPA not being able to 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 regulate in certain ways, um, you know, be, be, because of this, you know, kind of which we'll maybe get into this major questions document, right? It it shifts um, it shifts responsibility to the state. That's one of the more important things, right? And and when we talk about shifting responsibility to the state, as we've seen uh, uh, this division around uh, you know political and economic and social issues, we're going to have some states. Right, that are going to that are going to step up. They're going to strengthen rules. Uh, they're going to strengthen standards. And you're going to have a lot of states that, uh, on their own, decide not to do uh, much of anything. Right, and, and I think as as you've mentioned, uh, the the direct implications, particularly on marginalized communities, communities of color, uh, low income communities. We know that those communities are are two times more likely uh, to be overburdened with air pollution. Uh, right, that the the science and the data shows that that. Uh, People who, who who live in in, in these areas uh, tend to experience uh, respiratory diseases uh, at much higher rates. Uh, and as we think about you know the Clean Air Act being created to 
uh, remedy these issues and, and using that enforcement to, to remedy these issues uh, by rolling back some of this enforcement uh, uh authority, right? We're, we're only going to heighten exposure to air pollution, particularly in communities of color uh, and low-income communities. Uh, and, and then, you know, when we look at African-American populations who are consistently uh, overrepresented uh, with the poorest air quality, uh, they're going to be hit uh, pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I, I want to talk um, just a little more um, about the the, the ruling here mm-hmm. and the thinking behind it. Right. Uh, Jeremy mentioned this major questions uh, issue, which right. is uh, kind of an obscure uh, doctrine of the Supreme right. Court, at least for most for most people. But but talk about how uh, this has been a struggle that's that's gone on for a really long time, not just in, vi- in environmental law, but lots of regulatory uh, spaces. But but what is it that the court is kind of thinking about here and and addressing by by pulling the reins back on the EPA this way. Well, this this major questions doctrine, this is something that, you know, first appeared in at least in a Supreme Court opinion back in 2000 and it was when FDA was attempting to regulate tobacco and the court said, you know, Congress didn't give FDA the specific authority, the Food and Drug Administration to regulate tobacco. Um, this is a major question that should, you know, Congress in order to delegate their authority, you know, all the power that they have that they give to these federal agencies to implement laws, pass regulations, et cetera, they can't delegate that authority um, and something as major as, you know, regulating tobacco unless Congress says they should. Now, so with with the Clean Air Act, and this is a much more interesting question because the whole purpose of the act is, as you said, Stephen, is to, you know, clean up the air, right? We had horrible air pollution. You had the smog people couldn't see through in LA, um, you know, very, very harmful air emissions prior to the Clean Air Act. And so that was the whole purpose of the law. And, and you had Congress recognizing that they were not the experts, right? They were going to go out and hire and find the best engineers and modelers and, and scientists to actually figure out what were safe levels of, of pollution that we could have out there in the ambient air around us, and then pass regulations to make sure that we didn't cross any thresholds that could be very harmful to human health and to the environment. And by the way, so we can see things like across the Detroit River into Windsor, so we can see beautiful, uh, we can actually look at the Grand Canyon. I mean, national parks are important in this conversation too. Like, you know, all of these aesthetic things that we value, that all kind of falls under the Clean Air Act. So here you've got the court saying, you know what, we have now a majority of this Supreme Court that they've really grown up in their legal career thinking that the administrative state or all of these federal agencies have become too powerful, have asserted too much authority in areas that you know re- really should appropriately be in the purview of Congress. And so they're trying to rein that back in. But you know, to cut through all this, I'll just say flat out, a lot of this has to do with money. Okay. This, the clean power plan back in 2016 was going to be expensive. Now it would save a lot of money and reduced hospital visits and reduced asthma. Um, you know, fewer kids getting asthma from air pollution. It would have saved a ton of money from a, a health perspective and it would have provided all these environmental benefits, but it would have been expensive to you know transition um, away from coal more quickly. And so, so I think a lot of this has to do with money. It's a question of you know whether yeah, Congress has specifically spoken on this issue. And then one one other elephant in the room that we thought would come up in this case is something called Chevron deference. Mm-hmm. Chevron is a, an oil company, but there was a case where um, there's a question of of how EPA could fill gaps in. You know, Congress passes a law. They don't answer every single question in regard to how EPA should do their job. Can EPA permissibly, you know, interpret the statute and then pass regulations? And that's that's called Chevron deference. Um, again, there's probably now a majority on the court that wants to do away with this Chevron deference. And if they do, then that calls into question of like, 
how how much power do agencies actually have to act or do they have to wait for a specific line by line instruction from Congress? And the problem there is that Congress is dysfunctional, right? We don't pass these kind of laws. We don't have the type of searching inquiry within Congress that gets us to effective regulations. And so that that's really what was at issue here was, you know, the, the power of, of EPA, the power of agencies in general, and and a court that really wants to, to rein that in. Um, and I think most of that has to do with economic reasons, right? They, they, they want to give a nod to the oil industries, the coal industries, a lot of the people that are uh, big funders of conservative politicians. Yeah. And that, that's a lot of what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Nick Schreck, who is Associate Dean of Experiential Education and Associate Professor at the Detroit uh, Mercy School of Law. Also with us is uh, Jeremy Orr, who is Director of Litigation and Advocacy Partnerships at Earth Justice. We're talking about the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in West Virginia versus uh, EPA, where uh, the court, uh, by a a pretty significant majority, uh, rolls back a lot of the power that uh, the EPA has to regulate Coal plants to regulate other kinds of things that uh, that are contributing to climate change, that are making the air dirty, that are making the planet warmer, uh, and that are having such a profound effect on communities like ours here in Southeast Michigan. Think of all of the things that pollute our air, our soil, our water here uh, in Southeast Michigan, and the profound efforts to try to rein some of those things in that the EPA has made over over time. The U.S. Supreme Court is now saying that uh, even Congress cannot deed the EPA that kind of power. Uh, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Do you believe that the court ruled der- correctly in uh, this case? Uh, do you believe the EPA should maybe not have authority to regulate carbon emissions in the way that the Obama and Biden administrations imagined that they could. Uh, Give us a call and tell us what you think about the environment and the climate where we live here in Southeast Michigan, things that that pollute, uh, again, the air and the soil and the water uh, where we live. Um, give us a sense of how you would react to this uh, to this ruling at the polls. Uh, we're all going to go and elect uh, new congressional representatives in the fall, and many other local um, many other local posts. Uh, does this influence the way that you might that you might vote? Um, also, give us a call and let us know if you're somebody who lives with a fair amount of pollution? Do you live in southwest Detroit, for instance, uh, zip codes that routinely end up on the list of the most polluted places uh, in the United States? Uh, 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work into the conversation. Also, this is the end of uh, the Supreme Court's term. These are the, the last opinions that came down yesterday. What do you think of the flurry of opinions that we got over the last few weeks? Uh, the abortion ruling, the gun rights ruling, uh, the ruling about school prayer. Uh, The court is envisioning a very different America, the very different uh, set of individual liberties and regulatory schemes than we've lived under uh, for a really long time. Give us a sense of what you think of that. Are you in favor of it or uh, do you think this has got us all headed 
in the wrong direction. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will get to your calls and your social media comments. We'll also, of course, keep Jeremy Orr and Nick Schreck. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the Supreme Court ruling uh, in a case called West Virginia versus Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, this was a ruling uh, that came down this week that really gutted the EPA's ability to regulate the causes, many of the causes, of climate change, the kinds of industrial pollution that we put up with uh, an awful lot in communities like uh, like Detroit. Uh, our guests are Jeremy Orr, who is Director of Litigation and Advocacy Partnerships at Earth Justice. We've also got Nick Schreck here. He is Associate Dean of Experiential Education and Associate Professor at the U of D Mercy Law School. Uh, we want to hear from you as well. What do you think of this ruling? What do you think of the idea of limiting the scope of government power to deal with climate change. Uh, do you think that's the right direction to go, that uh, the EPA is too aggressive and uh, hurting businesses that make money off of uh, things that pollute the air and the soil and, and water? Uh, or do you think that this is a, a terrible mistake and something that will lead to more pollution uh, the, and the side effects of that pollution that, uh, that we experience so profoundly here in Detroit. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work into the conversation. Especially want to hear from people who live in areas here in Southeast Michigan where you experience uh, the side effects of, of this pollution. Folks in southwest Detroit, I think, uh, come to mind pretty readily when you think of that. But there are lots of areas here uh, because of our heavy reliance on industry here. Um, there are lots of places where pollution uh, defines the way that we breathe, uh, defines the way that we have to clean water and clean the soil. Uh, call and tell us what those experiences look like for you. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones, um, Nick Shrek. Before we before we get to our listeners, um, I do want to give you a chance to talk about the really practical end of this of this ruling. Um, you know, it, it, sometimes we think of uh, the court doing something, and it, it seems abstract. What what the effect on our individual lives might look like here in Southeast Michigan? We don't have to imagine mm -hmm. those things. We can point to very specific places and very specific actions that government might have been considering that now won't be possible. Right, and you know there was actually one benefit of the the clean power plan that was realized from back in 2016 is that some utility companies started planning as if that 
that rule would be upheld, right, and would be enforced. And so they started looking at retiring some of their older coal-fired power plants. You know, one example would be the the Detroit Edison DTE River Rouge facility. I mean, that that plant um, was older, inefficient, but um, is not you know has been shut down in part because of, of these these regulations that that we thought were going to be in place. And so that has you know again good air quality benefits for people living anywhere downwind of that facility. And you know the thing about air pollution, it's yes, it gets up up into the atmosphere and is dispersed. Um, we see high levels of ozone and other pollutants on the west side of Michigan. You know, Muskegon often has very poor air quality from pollution blowing across the lake from Indiana and and from Illinois. Um, but people that live next to these facilities are just socked with outsized amounts of pollution. And so one of the things the Clean Power Plan was attempting to do was to, you know, shut down those those older, heavily polluting facilities in these neighborhoods, in these residential areas that could, you know, dramatically improve health for people. And so, so that's, I mean, when, when you talk about like, what, what does this type of ruling do? It means that it can kind of shift some of that focus and can slow down our progress towards renewable sources of energy, cleaner sources of energy that, you know, not only help limit greenhouse gas emissions to have a healthier climate, but also just have those real benefits of reduced asthma, um, you know, reduced, um, heart attacks, breathing difficulty, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Orr, of course, uh, this affects the clients that you have uh, at Earth Justice as well and, and the work that you do on their behalf. Uh, tell our listeners just a little more uh, about what on the ground uh, that, that looks like and what it will look like because of this ruling. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we think about is, you know, EPA was invested with this authority to regulate um you know, pollution under the Clean Air Act. And if we're saying we're stripping away some of that uh, authority, particularly as it relates to power plants, which is uh, one of the most significant, uh, you know, emitters of pollution, I think it's number two behind transportation on greenhouse gas and, 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 and uh, you know, carbon dioxide. Uh, we're talking about stripping our, our partners and communities and, and clients of the ability to, to either compel EPA to regulate in ways that are necessary to protect public health or even challenge, um, you know, our, our 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 polluting facilities in our communities that aren't entertainment, right? That are causing this 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 harm to uh, public health and, and environmental health, right? So when we think about our 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 clients and partners and in communities who uh, bear the 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 brunt and the burden of environmental degradation and pollution, uh, we're not just stripping EPA of a tool to regulate. We're also looking at uh, potentially stripping our communities of the the few legal tools that they even have to uh, bring, you know, cases to protect their own health and well-being. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to social media, Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we can include you in the show that way. Uh, Ed on Twitter says, uh, I'm even more afraid of next term, the clean water, affirmative action, states' rights to change Voting rights, uh, 6-3, he says, seems to be a trend. Uh, that is uh, what the conservative majority looks like right now uh, on, on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, let's go to the phones and start with Benjamin in Sterling Heights. Benjamin, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh-huh. Uh, what we're witnessing is, in my opinion, I think many others may share this, is it's been a slow-motion judicial coup of... Uh, of the court system it this is the culmination of decades of planning and and uh federal and, and supreme court appointments that have been getting built up over the past several decades this is what 
McConnell and the rest of the GOP have been building for. Mm-hmm. And it's this is finally them reaping the fruits of that labor. Uh, and and I've, I, I realize that the focus today is, is, is the environmental side of the equation. And, and my it, it, it frankly baffles me. They're making rulings that aren't rooted in reality. They're, the, the Supreme Court isn't making decisions that are make any, any degree of sense. It's in the name of the agency, Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, and yeah, they, it's pretty literal. Uh, yeah, and I, I guess my, my question is, if not the EPA, then who? You, you, it was mentioned earlier that uh, the that Congress can't give the EPA this authority, but if we're dealing with power plants, can't like the Department of Energy then be uh, granted this this authority? Um, hmm. What is the the, the the next solution? Yeah, it's because a great. I don't see one. It's a great question, Benjamin, and and I think if, especially for people who don't spend a lot of time following the court or or, or trying to sort through. It's various doctrines. Uh, this this does seem kind of kind of puzzling in terms of uh, whether it's saying we can't regulate these things at all. Nick Shrek, what's the answer there? Well, first, just to be clear, I mean, the court didn't say that EPA could never you know regulate power plants in this way. Just that the existing language in the Clean Air Act, in the court's view, doesn't give them the broad authority that they were seeking to exercise. So Congress could clean that up, right? They could amend the Clean Air Act. Um, you know. <laughs> Let's take bets on how quickly that'll happen, right? I mean, I mean, you know, you've got a, a, an evenly divided Senate with Senator Joe Manchin, also from the great state of West Virginia, that that was the lead uh, plaintiff in this litigation. So, you know, seeing something make it through the House and Senate and then be signed by President Biden that that is, you know, proactively tackling uh, climate change or greenhouse gas emissions, I think, is a long shot. So, what do we do in the interim, right? So, great question. Well. As we talked about, you know, the states have some authority. You know, Michigan can act um, above and beyond the requirements of the Clean Air Act to to regulate pollution and to promote um, our, our health and, and the health of the environment. They have to do that in ways that don't directly conflict with federal law. So you have to be a little bit creative. Uh, there may be more opportunities for nuisance type suits. Um, that that kind of we call it, you know, common law type cases where these are these are you know a property owner suing another over pollution. So neighbors suing a facility for polluting their their land. And then there's some other things that EPA can still do. Um, you know, they can require different types of fuels or different mixes or blends. So maybe instead of burning only coal, they have to co-fire the plant with natural gas. Now, the problem there is that we're still emitting greenhouse gas emissions, but it would be lower, right? They can, they can do some other things, you know, in regulating the facilities themselves. What the court said is that they can't just have this sort of national plan to you know, they call it beyond the fence line, right? So a plan to just for the whole country to say, we're going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by X percent under this existing authority. So that means Congress has to act. They have to pass something like was proposed in 2008 or 2009, the Waxman-Markey or the climate bill, um, or they have to amend the Clean Air Act in some other way. We definitely need that. But I'll just say in your comment about the Supreme Court, I, I mean, I agree with that, right? This has been intentional. It's been, you know, identifying people who, um, some of these groups that sort of vet judicial candidates, the Federal Society is the main one um, on, on the conservative side. They're identifying people to, to put up in the Court of Appeals and in, in the Supreme Court that have a philosophy, you know, kind of, you know, in line with, again, limiting agency action to do things, um, you know, perhaps, you know, taking us back, you know, many, many hundreds of years in some cases, you know, and, and I'll just, I'll leave it with saying, you know, think about how silly it would be if you look at something like the Dobbs opinion or overturning Roe v. Wade and you look at how they're relying on, 
you know, British common law cases and cases from early American jurisprudence. Um, you know, what would they have said about climate change back then, right? I mean, let's 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 get let's get real here, right? Like they didn't know about it, they weren't thinking about it, but now we we know a lot better and we we have the tools to effectively regulate, and we can't just be always, you know, oh, we need to look back at what the historical record said, because a lot of these things are, are new. They're new technologies. They're new things that, that are harming people today, and agencies have to have the ability to regulate, or we're just going to continue to have um, pollution that's, that's going to continue warming the planet on and on and on. Yeah. So uh, quickly, Michael on Twitter has a specific question about, uh, about this. He says, good news for Michigan DTE has fully bought into moving from coal to natural gas-fired plants and wind and solar. Uh, We've had arguments about the timelines there. But, uh, Nick, do you trust that DTE won't use this ruling to backtrack, to, to back away from some of the commitments that it's already made? Well, I you know, certainly would like to take them at their word, but what, what the, the truth will be shown in their regulatory filings. So they, they do these things called integrated resource plans where they talk about what their electric generation mix will be going forward. You know, consumers energy, you know, they should get a lot of credit here too. They've been, you know, aggressively moving away from coal and into to cleaner sources of energy. But, you know, I'll just say this as a, as a veteran of the renewable energy wars in Michigan going back, you know, 15 years, um, I'll say that, you know, without a state law requiring a certain percentage of our electricity to come from renewable sources. Uh, the utilities weren't just doing that voluntarily. Now they are they are moving as wind energy, in particular, in Michigan, continues to get cheaper. You know, you are seeing a transition to that as a, as a generating source. Um, I mean, we really need to focus on solar. Um, this is just quick soapbox thing here. I mean, you know, getting rooftop solar going in Michigan in an aggressive way is something that the utilities have actually resisted. Um, but that's what we're, we really need to do. We need we need more of this, you know, diversified generation of electricity. And so, so yeah, I mean, I think it's great that they're making making some of those um, pronouncements. But at the same time, they're actually funding lobbyists and working in certain um, regulatory arenas to kind of undermine the authority. So, so they say a lot of great things publicly, and I think they are going to try and meet these these renewable energy targets. But at the same time, they're also trying to reduce regulations on them in the meantime. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would say we're, maybe the old like trust but verify, right? Like we'll listen to them say, take them at their word, but we need to verify it through the regulatory filings and and how they actually operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy, or I wonder if you can talk about what some of the, I guess, the litigation options might be here, uh, other than uh, or outside the arena of of congressional. Um, action. Uh, Nick was talking about how it's going to be. It'll be difficult to get Congress to 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 revisit this in in, in a way that would <clears throat> restore some of this authority. Is it something that organizations like Earth Justice can pursue uh, more through the courts? And, and and are there other avenues to try to to try to move the ball forward? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, and even going back. Um, you know, to, to to the court's role in this, right? I, I think which came up in the prior prior question of the Supreme Court. W- one thing that that we're highly cognizant of is is this was a, a case that this court didn't even have to take and was questionable whether they even had jurisdiction over, hmm. right? Because typically, when a case takes a, when a court when the court takes a case, it's there's a what we call a controversy or uh, or question, right? So we're talking about a clean power plan that was that was you know promulgated under Obama that was uh, you know. Uh, removed under the Trump administration. So this court decided on a on a case that wasn't actually a case, right, mm-hmm. a case or a controversy. So that's the first thing when we think about uh, the ability of the, the courts to, to 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 pull this work within their jurisdiction. So that's one. But then so so now as we're shifting to 
um, you know, what what legal remedies do we have? Right. As as Nick mentioned, right. I, I think for for many of us, we were a bit surprised that, um, you know, the act wasn't gutted completely. It was it was a little narrowly tailored and uh, it was pre- predominantly focused on the role of, of EPA in regulating um, power plants. And in particular, and I think as, as Nick mentioned, right, the, the need to uh, to shift to different forms of generation. That's what this case was about. It was about whether EPA could regulate uh, generation shifting. Right. So essentially, can they regulate and, and put caps or 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 criteria on moving from, you know, coal fire uh, in oil to natural gas and in clean glass, right? So that's that's what what the case uh, was limited to. But uh, as Nick mentioned as well, there are you know there's there's still ways that we can do that right through through the legislative process, rulemaking process. But as we think about uh, the tools in our toolbox for continuing to 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 protect communities uh, around the country, right, and in particular in Detroit, you know there are still rules in place, right? There are still uh, uh, compliance mechanisms. There are still uh, air quality standards, right? Mm-hmm. That that are still in place. That when we think of our clients uh, on the ground, communities on the ground, uh, that we can still, you know, file cases. We can still uh, make complaints. We can still petition EPA to 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 bring these polluters to justice and uh, protect our communities. Uh, we just not realize that uh, with with this with with this case, right? That that broader uh, shift. Um, you know, institutional shift that we need may not be available in this form. And, and if I, Stephen, yeah, if I can just jump in to see with what um, Jeremy was saying, that um, things like particulate matter. So those are the fine particles that are emitted when you burn coal. Um, there's regulations that that you know limit the amount of particulate matter that can be released. Well, if we can continue ratcheting down particulate matter pollution, that then will also convince some of these utilities that, you know what, maybe it's too expensive to keep, you know, burning coal. We need to transition these other sources. So, so there's ways that using these other, other pollutants that we have good, solid regulations for that, that gosh, I sure hope those won't be called into question. Cause if they do, you know, I'll, I'll, all bets are off, you know, let's, let's, uh, I'll move, I'll move to uh, Alaska or something. You know I mean? And, uh, it, it's really, it, it really is um, that, that kind of level where like it, 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 they're, they're going down a path here that I think is very dangerous in terms of, of, um, curtailing agencies to act. And so we, we have to use the tools we still have in that toolbox. But unfortunately, there's one last after yesterday. Yeah. Okay, need to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about the ruling on the EPA from the U.S. Supreme Court. Also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter. Put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. This is Detroit Today on 
WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in a case called West Virginia versus EPA, in which uh, the justices really rode back uh, some of the discretion that the EPA has in regulating pollution, uh, essentially regulating climate change. Uh, we're talking about what effect that has. Uh, not just on the regulatory environment in our country, but also the practical implications in places like Southeast Michigan, where we live with a disproportionate amount of uh, pollution caused by industry. Uh, What does this mean for us as individuals uh, who live here and who count on government to balance the interests of profit uh, that needs to be made by the companies that manage industry, uh, against the the interests of our health, uh, public health, uh, individual health. Uh, our guests are Jeremy Orr, who is a director of litigation and advocacy partnerships at Earth Justice. Also with us is Nick Schreck, associate dean of experiential education and associate professor at the U of D Mercy School of Law. We want to hear from you as well on the phones and on social media. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Facebook. Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, I got another social media comment I want to add here. Patrick from Royal Oak says uh, Reagan Research led in the 80s and found that while it made us $1 million, it would cost us a billion dollars in health costs and outcomes. We need to discuss the true costs of these decisions. It can always, it can't always be about profit at the expense uh, of our health. Uh, really good point there, Patrick. Let's go to John on the east side. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey. So I, I don't really have to tell you how I feel about the Supreme Court, but uh, <laughs> I want to share a story I heard on NPR several years ago about the EPA back in the 70s when they banned lead. And it was really interesting. The, the head of the EPA then was all ready to go with the lead lobbyists and continue on putting lead in house paint and gasoline and everything else. And uh, there was a scientist who was doing studies on uh, lead uh, and the IQ. And there was parallel studies going on in Washington about lead or uh, uh, IQ and potential earnings. And the EPA director took a look at that. It had nothing to do with health consequences. It just had to do with earnings. And so I think we have to share um, things like this with people more and more about the cost to society versus the cost to uh, manufacturers Hmm. and and corporations. Yeah. Uh, John, great Great point. Uh, Jeremy Orr, I know this is the central part of the work at Earth Justice, which is, you know, fronting health and public health over the idea of, of profit in, in, this, in this space. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, in particular, as, as we're talking about lead, right, and, and, and the controversy is still going on with that in the state, right, around the state and around the country. Uh, but but this, this part of prioritizing people over profit is so important. Because uh, even Michigan plays a key role in the in the in the significance of this West Virginia v. EPA case, right? There was a a, a Michigan versus EPA case as well, right? Mm-hmm. A, a, a few years back, right? That decided, okay, if you you can regulate it, but if you're going to regulate it, you have to account for the cost of it. You at least have to consider it, right? And then EPA goes, okay, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll consider it and make rules around that. And now you still have a court saying, 
okay, you considered it, but we, we don't think you have right the, 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 the power to make decisions that have this sort of political and economic implications. Right. So I, I think there is a, a, a such a, a real need, right, to, to really prioritize health uh, and well-being of, of residents over profit, because what we know, those short term profits are far outweighed by uh, the long term cost uh, as it relates to all of these public health issues, be it water, be it air, hazardous waste and, and, and so on. Yeah. Um, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Frank in Livonia. Frank, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Stephen. Um, you know, I just want to say that you know, uh, in, in, under, industrial people don't make pollution just for the fun of making pollution. They make pollution because they're making goods that we as consumers buy. Hmm. And it's the same thing when, you know, when uh, Congress acts, you know, they could write these laws very specifically, but we as voters, you know, need to go out and vote for uh, Congress people that are willing to, and we don't do that. I mean, this really, you know, really always is the, that's the bedrock of these problems is the consumer and the voter, which I'm one of, and yeah, Frank, I, I really appreciate that perspective, and we haven't talked much about, you know, the responsibility that we all bear for putting up with and and contributing to these these companies that uh, that pollute. Nick Shrek, what 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 are things that individuals can do? I think is one of the questions. I mean, it, I think people feel quite helpless to make this kind of change on their own. It, well, and it's difficult. I mean, the, the caller makes a great point about um, yes. I mean, we're we're consumers of of electricity. I mean, the one the one difference there is that for most of us, we don't if we want to be tied into the electric grid, we don't really have a choice about who's providing that electricity, right? Like, I I can't say I only want my electricity to come from wind farms, right? I, I'm I'm part of this grid um, and, and a, a DTE customer, and so I have you know some limited choice there um, with within um, this monopoly environment that we've got for utilities. And there, you know, there's some decent reasons for that, right? We have to pay for transmission lines and we have to have all, all of that work, you know, tree trimming and stuff that needs to be done to hopefully keep the power on, which we need, we need more of that kind of maintenance work <laughs> for sure. Um, but, um, what can we do? So yes, we can make choices as consumers. Um, we can, um, you know, even think there's a public service commission in Michigan that does a lot of regulating of our utilities here in the state. They take comments, they, you know, they take comments by email. You can send in and, and say, you know, I really want more renewable energy options, right? I want to be able to put solar on my home without a whole lot of trouble and having to jump through all these hoops. Um, you know, advocacy there. And and yes, getting people running for office on record, you know, about not only do they believe climate change is real, but what are they going to do about it, right? Are they going to pass laws to um, get us moving as a society in a way that, that leads to a healthier sustainable future for all of us. I mean, we really need to get, get politicians on record and then hold them accountable. And, and if, and, and it's, and it's hard, right? Like we're, you're one voter, but, but, you know, you talking to people, getting them and at candidate forums, you know, going through the different uh, candidate screening processes to get these folks on record and then holding them accountable. Um, if they don't follow through, I mean, that it's gotta be political pressure. And then we can also make some choices as, as consumers. And yes, I mean, doing things like higher efficiency appliances, insulating our homes, and there are some programs available. I should, you know, shout out uh, for some of those efficiency programs. Uh, talk with your utility company about whether they have some funds available to help you insulate or caulk. Uh, do those things at your home that really saves you a lot of money. And 
you know, the best electricity is the stuff that we save that we don't even need to generate, right? Like that's the cheapest. Okay. If we can work on efficiency, that's still a, a really great way for us as consumers to have an impact and maybe save some money on that utility bill too. If we're, you know, have better insulation, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that, that gets to this kind of bigger question of whether some of these things can be solved by the markets themselves, right? right. We have we have control over those markets to some extent. Uh, use and consumption are are drivers of all of this. If we change those things, which I, I feel like we have started to in pretty significant ways, maybe the problem starts to take care of itself. Well, and that's I mean that's the hope is that the market gets to a point where um, it can overcome some of the incentives and some of the the sort of you know inside tracks that a lot of these fossil fuel companies have been given. You know, there's complaints about subsidies for wind and solar. Well, well, let me tell you, there's there's a whole heck of a lot of of benefits, tax benefits, and otherwise that that flow to fossil fuel companies. And when there hasn't been a level playing field there, and so but the market, you know, with these advancements in technology, over time renewables will keep getting cheaper. Whereas fossil fuels will continue getting more expensive because they're finite resources. So you got to bet on renewables, but we need to we need to get there faster than we are currently. And one way to do that is through certainly congressional action. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeremy Orr, uh, we've got about a minute and a half left. Uh, talk about next steps for uh, an organization like Earth Justice. I mean, yesterday was a day of disappointment, uh, but but not crushing disappointment, as you pointed out. I mean, it could have been much worse. But what's the what's the pivot here that organizations like yours uh, will end up making to try to to try to regroup? Yeah, I mean there are there are a couple of things right that we're thinking about. I mean the the first is um, you know as as Nick mentioned right in, ensuring that we're back to the drawing board and, and and working federally right to make sure that that there are some rules and laws on the books that that does this the right way that hopefully can stand up in court and we continue to. Uh, attack the climate crisis. The other thing is is really looking at uh, this local and state level work where we know a lot of this power is not going to fall until this stuff gets sorted out, right? So making sure that we're working with uh, impacted communities, local communities and, and partners, uh, you know, advancing, uh, you know, climate justice oriented policies and legislation at local and state levels that can, that can tackle this. I think that's going to be uh, really, really critical moving forward. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what, what, what do you make of What's next? Uh, do, is there a push to get Congress to do to do something here, or is this kind of a, a, a move away from the regulatory idea toward you know other other kinds of pressures? Well, I mean, Congress has to act. I mean, and remember the the Build Back Better plan, part of uh, President Biden's agenda, and that was largely stalled um, by a couple senators. Mm -hmm. But I mean, a big portion of that was significant investments in renewable energy and, and kind of tackling the climate crisis. So we we do need that action from Congress. Um, we we can't get to where we need to be with with just you know agency regulation alone. Um, we, we, you know, we need a climate bill. We need a bill focused on that. Um, but in the meantime, um, as Jeremy said, I mean, there's a lot that can be done at the state and local level. There's a lot of powers that our local governments have and that our state governments have to to work in a positive direction. And we need to double down, redouble, triple those efforts as, as soon as we possibly can. Um, and you know what? The courts, it's not Yes, we've got a, a majority now that I think is skeptical of environmental regulation, but all hope is not lost there either. You know, we're going to continue to litigate these cases. We're going to push as much as we can. Um, you know, as long as there is an opportunity, a good legal 
principle for us to challenge, we're, we're going to do it right up, up and down um, all across the country. Uh, because really, this is you know we are we are a union of states, right? Like we got fifty states. Pollution doesn't respect boundaries. We need to have some federal rules here. This can't just be one state going it alone. Or some states will decide, you know what, we're going to race to the bottom. We're going to be open business for polluters, and and then the rest of us will still suffer from that pollution. Yeah. Okay, Jeremy Orr and Nick Shrek. Both great to have both of you here uh, for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining. All right, everybody have a great 4th of July weekend. I'll be back on Tuesday when we're going to talk with journalist Danny Fenster about his harrowing story, including the six months he spent wrongfully in prison in Myanmar by a military junta and his journey back home to the state of Michigan. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again next week.